We all have dreams. Some people seem to live theirs while others seem to struggle. This is, however, merely a perception. What if you could get the answers you needed to execute on your dreams? Welcome to the Platinum Mask Podcast, a show designed to ask various young professionals just how they deal with their specific ups and downs. How does one young upstart navigate competing with name brand companies? Where do we get the best tools? How do we grow from our stress and anxiety? Most importantly, how do we properly utilize our cash flow? The Platinum Mask Podcast with your host, Grayson Mask. We wanted answers, so we're going out to get them and sharing them with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello, everyone, checking out the Planet Mask podcast. I am Grayson Mask. I have with me Dara Ashley, who's the creator of the Dara Ashley Foundation. And this was an organization I was able to find on kind of some local DFW articles, but it's an organization that wants to create new opportunities for minority college students. And they kind of do this by offering things like um, everything from scholarships to kind of one-on-one mentorships to kind of leadership groups or sessions. And yeah, it was kind of just something I was very interested in and, you know, really wanted to reach out on kind of how you build an organization up like that. So yeah, thank you again, Dara, for just being able to take out the time today and just the kind of the interest on helping me out uh, understand like the ins and outs of this. Yes, of course. Super excited to be here uh, and, you know, answer any questions that you have. Uh, I think it's going to be a great conversation. For sure. Well, I guess I was just kind of first curious on, you know, specifically, were you a uh, DFW native? Were you like born and raised somewhere else? Uh, where'd you grow up in? Well, I claim Dallas. Um, I was born in Kansas City, Missouri, but I moved to Dallas when I was two. So Dallas is home for me. A lot of my family still lives in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, but no, Dallas, is, maybe not born, but raised for sure. Uh, my parents still live there. Family still lives in Dallas. So definitely that's home. And was that like, was there a specific part of the Metroplex you got, you grew up in? Yeah, particularly DeSoto, which is Dallas County. Um, And so I went to high school in Dallas, though. So the whole Metroplex, I'm super familiar with. It doesn't matter. North, south, east, west. (laughs) So what was the uh, I was kind of curious on, like, um, you know, with your organization being, uh, I guess, so important behind like offering scholarships um, and kind of leadership sessions to, uh, you know, people. Um, who are going to college and everything. Uh, I, I was kind of curious on, you know, what type of student were you in like, I guess like middle school and high school growing up? Yeah, I was, I was the, the, the typical A student. So I worked super hard. I was always fighting, at least in high school, definitely fighting for that top position, trying to graduate top five in the class. Um, Education has always been really important to not just me, but my family. So I come from a family of educators. And so that was just something instilled in me at a young age was if you're going to go to school, you're going to go, you're going to do great. (laughs) There was no option but to perform well. And so, um, yeah, that's what kind of student academically that I was. And then I was just heavily involved in sports. And so I was so passionate about sports that I had to perform well in the classroom if I wanted to play. So it kind of went hand in hand. 
when you're saying like growing up, uh, I was kind of curious being in a family of like primary educators, were they like in the public school system or were they like educating somewhere else? Yeah, a little bit of a mix. So uh, like my aunt, my mom's sister, she for the longest time was in like kindergarten, but it was the public school system for Head Start, which is literally targeting for that lower income, lower economic standing families and providing them with relatively free kindergarten um, or or pre-K services. But then you have my mom and she was a professor at Dallas College. Now um, she's like the, the vice, I forgot, she has a very long title, but she's in administration now. Um, my grandmother, she was a teacher. So predominantly in public school settings, uh, but my mom was more so on the collegiate side. Okay. So kind of with like, um, I guess having those mentors in your life and kind of preparing you, uh, I guess to succeed well academically. And as you said, you're kind of involved with sports. So what was like, when did the conversation come up of, I guess, like when it came to like scholarships and being prepared for college? Oh, super early on. Um, (laughs) maybe around the same time that I was, um, Maybe the same time, maybe kindergarten. No, let me stop. Uh, <laughs> honestly, the conversation of college was an ongoing thing. So like m- maybe anywhere from fifth to sixth grade, it was like, you know, what do you want to be? How do you think that you're going to get there? What tools do you need to get there? Um, and so it was a very early on conversation. It was definitely expected out of me and my brother to both go to college, which was fine because that's what I wanted to do. Um So that conversation started earlier, but the conversation changed maybe like mid high school because I was performing so well and like I was a top performing student. So now the conversation shifted, like, what do you want out of your college experience? You know, are you looking to play basketball still? Do you want to, you know, be at a highly acclaimed university like a Harvard or a Duke? Um, so then the conversation just shifted. It wasn't necessarily if I was going, it was more so what do you want to get out of college? Because that can help us. My mom was really big on that to help us really make decisions about where we wanted to go to school. And I think that's helpful because every college is so different. And on that kind of when you're performing well and you kind of have like the I guess the choice of different universities, was yeah. that like the I, I guess the financial side or the idea of scholarships a part of the conversation because I, I mean I can definitely imagine um, maybe like plenty of people who possibly have uh, schools that they're choosing but you know definitely that's a major issue no for sure and that's actually it's actually funny because my dream school used to be Duke and my, I'll never forget when I told my, my mom and my dad and they were like um do you know how much that cost <laughs> And so that's kind of where that conversation of scholarships really came in, because I was looking at like Duke University or UNC. And these were one, it was out of state for me. Uh, So then that's extra fees. But then also they were just very expensive private universities. And so um, that's when that conversation of scholarships kind of really came up. So that's when I start maybe like sophomore in between sophomore, junior year of high school. I started applying for scholarships um, and I got a few, but not to the magnitude that I really, really wanted. And so also when you talk about scholarships, I applied to like Texas State, um, a couple of Texas schools, my parents' alma mater out in um, Kansas. And I got like 50 percent 
or or 65% coverage from the scholarship, I really didn't want to be in like those small country towns. <laughs> and so uh, then that was the conversation like, okay, even though you're only getting a few dollars for the very expensive schools, you're getting like 60% scholarship coverage at the smaller schools. Um, you know, what, what do you want to do? What's your priority financially? So it was, my dad's a financial advisor. And so he was like really big on the money side. Um, like just know if you do four years at this really expensive school while you're there, we'll help you. But like afterwards you're an adult and it's your payment, (laughs) but I, I appreciated the candidness. So from there, um, and kind of looking in state and out of state when it yeah. came to these different universities. So which university did you end up going with? I ended up going uh, for my undergraduate degree. I ended up going to Howard University. And I actually have a funny story about that because it wasn't Howard wasn't even on my radar. Um, my brother, my dad went to an HBCU for his undergrad. And I was talking to my brother and he was like, oh, why didn't you? Uh, apply to Howard, like it's a very prestigious HBCU. And I was like, oh, I should apply. And he and I have this this competitive spirit between us. And so he was like, well, I got in to Howard. And I was like, well, if you got in, I can definitely get in. And so I applied just to be competitive with my brother. Um, And then I got a rejection email. And I was like, this can't be right. I perform too highly. I'm I'm a great student. Let me figure this out. emailed them back, called them, and um, they had like some wrong documents on file for me. There was somebody like with a very similar name. And so then they sent me the acceptance letter. I visited the university and then just literally fell in love with Howard and Washington, D.C. And so that's how I ended up going to Howard. It wasn't even initially that I wanted to go there. It was like a competition thing with my sibling. (laughs) When you mentioned like, um, you know, falling in love instantly with uh, Howard University. So like on your first tour, what was like the first thing that popped out to you? Um, You know, what drew you over? It definitely was the culture of the university. So I walked onto campus. It it made me feel like I was, I don't know if you're familiar with like living single, but there's just like a whole bunch of, um, I guess you would say black sitcoms where the the students go to a HBCU and there's like all these students, everybody's having a good time. I felt like I was on a TV show, essentially. <laughs> and I was like, this is so beautiful. The city was beautiful. The university was beautiful. Um, just the way people interacted with us on campus. They were so friendly, welcoming, warm. And I was like, yeah, this is somewhere I would like to spend my, ne- my next four years of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was kind of curious on that. Um, kind of when you were saying like it's kind of being a TV show, is that like, is there any unique, uh, I guess, parts about being historically black university that I, I guess you wouldn't find in uh, any other public or private university? For sure. I think the biggest is two big things that I always like to tell people. One is being diversity. Um, you know, HBCUs obviously is historically black, but in particular with it being in Washington, D.C., it's just a melting pot. Like that's just the demographic of D.C. in general. So then to see that diversity within that black community, you know, just people from across the world. I like had a friend from Egypt. I had a friend from from Toronto, Canada. I had a friend from Trinidad and Tobago, you know, a friend from Nigeria. So like 
everybody being of some type of African descent or just brown, a part of that brown community. Uh, but then there was just a vast majority, vast majority of diversity within the community. So that was one thing that um, demographically speaking, if you look at like statistics of like predominantly white institutions or private institutions, that diversity excuse me, that diversity demographic is very small. And so being able to experience diversity within my community was so beautiful. Um, and then secondly, it would have to be that family oriented experience that you get. So I went to Towson University for my master's right after Howard. Um, and it was a a few brown people there and I could just experience the difference, especially being in science. Science is very cutthroat. It's a very cutthroat career path. People are trying to get published. You know, people are just trying to one up everybody, if you will. <laughs> and so I experienced both of them in the difference where if you're struggling in a microbiology course at Howard, you have some students who will be like, hey, you know, I saw you perform poorly here. Let me help you. Let me show you some of my notes. Let me show you some of my study techniques. Whereas I like to call it gatekeeping is what was happening at Towson University. <laughs> like this, I have to be great and I have to keep all of my greatness to myself uh, instead of sharing it. So, and I won't say that that's the experience for all private um, universities, but that was just my experience. When you throw out like the, um, that being unique for the STEM field, uh, I was kind of curious, like, uh, in high school and everything, was it, did you know early on that you wanted to be within STEM or was there something specific within STEM? Yeah, I knew for a really long time. My mom always tells this story about how she came home from work one day. My dad was taking a nap. So I was, um, unsupervised and she came in the restroom and I was, I was really young. I was maybe like six or seven. Um, and she's like, I just had everything everywhere. It was baking soda. It was dish soap. It was hairspray. And I was mixing stuff in the sink. And she's like, Dara, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I'm making a, a chemical experiment. <laughs> so at a, from a really young age, I've been super interested in science. Um, and then by the time I got to high school, uh, I was like, oh, I want to be a doctor. And so then as I learned more about STEM medicine, that's why I went and went ahead after undergrad and got my master's in research is because uh, one of the goals, um, I always tell people that I'm very purpose driven rather than career driven. And so definitely one of the purposes that I would love to fulfill is being a research doctor. And so did research for a while and um you know, hope to continue to do that as well with the foundation too. With kind of being purpose-driven and when you're saying like research is so important into like a role like that, is there any like major science or medical breakthroughs that you would love to be a part of, like if given the opportunity? No, definitely, definitely, definitely. I think one, uh, and this was just something I kind of came upon during my master's was this idea of lower income brown communities being unhealthy, right? So I'll just kind of give you an example of a study that I worked on while I was there. And so there was like this high number of uh, black boys who had asthma. And so basically the city was saying it was because they didn't have health insurance or they weren't taking care of their health or they didn't care about their health. But um, some health 
community health advocates went, went into their home and found that there was tons of black mold in these apartments um, and it wasn't upkept by the, the landlords, basically. And so black mold can start and can turn into asthma if you're around it for a long period of time. Um, so that's just like one example of how mm, socioeconomical stand, standing as well as environment can really push your health to one direction. Um, and so the ideal, I mean, the, the, the truth wasn't that they didn't care about their health, but is that they really had no other option because they're not they're not homeowners. You know, they're not in a space where they can remove black mold out of the walls, you know, things of that nature. So something in that direction, I would love to do um, medical research on. And were you doing uh, I, I kind of remember you were mentioning like um, your own practice and like studying in STEM when you're at like Howard University. Were you I remember like saying something about were you like mentoring like kids like in a program when you're at Howard University? Yeah, I was mentoring. I mentored twice. So I mentored at Howard um, and I was mentoring a girl who was at an alternative high school. Um, and so it was called the Met Choice Program. And so what we did was we would connect with these alternative high school students who weren't in like the best situations, but they were trying to better their life, figure out financially, um, how they could go to college, like, how can I better my life? And if college is not the way, what are some other avenues I can take? Um, that was super life-changing for me. Um, I grew up in the suburbs. Um, I grew up with my parents in the home, my brother. And so the lifestyle and life trajectory that some of those students had, those were just things I'd never experienced or even been like adjacent to. And I thought I was doing a bad job as a mentor, if I'm being quite frank. And I'll just never forget after the mentorship program was over, I had one of my mentees reach back out to me and she was like, thank you so much for being there for me and for showing me that um, as a young black woman, there's other avenues of life that I can go after. Um, and that was just really moving because I'll never forget at the end of that mentor mentee relationship. I was like, "Ooh, I did not. I did not do good. <laughs> I did not help her to the magnitude that I really should have. And like in that program, was that, uh, I, I guess, was the mentoring difficult because um, like you weren't a part of like an alternative high school experience or uh, I guess, was that like a transition that was hard to make? Yeah, for sure. I didn't even, I was familiar with the idea of an alternative high school, but I didn't have like any friends or family who attended one. So I didn't really understand the structure of it and how it kind of is a step before um, like a juvenile detention center uh, if things continue to get worse. Um, as well as I just really didn't know about what it was like to be a teenager and have to work to provide for yourself. Like my parents really provided for me for a little, for, for, I didn't work at all and put it in perspective <laughs> when I was in high school. And so that idea of working to provide for myself under the age of 18, I knew nothing about. Um, and so that was new too. That was something that I just wasn't familiar with. And you mentioned with that kind of being like the first shot you had on mentorship and, um, even though you had doubts, like the, the mentee was eventually able to thank you and tell you that you did well. Um, so what was like the, I guess the second shot at like mentoring kids? Yeah. So that one was more high school focused where 
Then I mentored again at Towson University. And that is where I mentored uh, third, fourth, and fifth graders. Um, but that was more fun. <laughs> that one was life-changing as well, but in a different way. It was like, it brought me joy. Kids just have joy. Like, they don't worry about things. They don't worry about bills. <laughs> you know, they're just living their good life. And um, they were just so excited to do science projects. And so that's basically what the mentorship program was, was I was mentoring since I was getting my master's in science. I was mentoring them and showing them different avenues of a career in STEM um, and how you as a brown individual can have these different STEM careers that you see on like cartoons or TVs, a lab coat or a doctor or, you know, a health advocate. So kind of educating them on that. And it was really, really fun. Um, it started off in person and then it went virtual because of COVID. <laughs> but uh, it was really fun. I had a good time doing that. You kind of uh, like throughout and going into primary uh, minority student classrooms and being able to kind of talk about different STEM opportunities is there like a lot of, uh, I guess, programs for that? Because I know like in uh, when I was at UNT and stuff, like there will definitely be kind of women in STEM organization. But I, I don't know. Is there for like black and brown students for like programs or organizations that, um, you know, cater or, uh, work with that? Yes and no. It really depends on where you are in the country. So uh, Towson University was in Baltimore County. And so as a predominantly African-American city. And there were a lot of, I wouldn't know, I don't know if you would call it outreach, but programs that would reach within, reach into the city to help provide those different programs, those different opportunities. Uh, but for example, one of the mentees in my program right now, uh, she goes to a small college out in Iowa and she's black as well. And there's no programs whatsoever in Iowa. All they have is, I don't know, is that Idaho? Whoever has the potatoes. <laughs> but uh, she just kind of talks about that as well. It's like, um, even though I'm based out of Texas and our organization is nationwide, she felt like she's having to reach all the way to Texas just to find some sort of program that is catered directly to her. And kind of working with the students in the lab and you're kind of mentioning that they're excited about like some of the programs you had. Is there any, uh, you know, class favorites when it comes to like showing a science experiment or, you know, something that the uh, third, fourth, fifth graders uh, tend to like? Yes, I think my favorite one, well, their favorite one, I'll give you their favorite one uh, was the lava lamp. Because that's kind of a generational difference <laughs> because I'm, I was born in the 90s. And so the lava lamp was the it thing. Like if you got a lava lamp for Christmas or your birthday, you're probably the coolest kid in school. Um, <laughs> and so that was really cool to kind of reach back in my childhood, but then connected to science about like, how do these bubbles form? What is what is the gases that allows that to happen? You know, how oil and water don't mix. Why don't they mix? Things of that nature. Um, it's super cool to just see young kids be so excited about um, a lava lamp, a homemade lava lamp. So we would make it, You, I tell them like what uh, what items you need to make and they make it at home. And it was just fun. It was super, super fun. Yeah. And uh, you're kind of going on into, uh, your, that was their favorite. What was um, like your favorite in the program? I think my favorite was the day that we were able to take them 
to this was less of a science experiment and more of like a science experience. Uh, we were able to take them to the Baltimore Aquarium, which is one of the most diverse aquariums in the U.S. Um, I think they're second to Houston's aquarium. Um, and just showing them, we like would go behind the scenes, seeing all the different, excuse me, biologists, ecologists, like there's just so many different types of scientists that work at the aquarium. Um, Cause science is such a, a vast umbrella. <laughs> and these were just jobs and positions that they had no clue were even considered to be a scientist. So that was really, really fun. I'll never forget because there was a girl and she was training, it's not a dolphin. I can't think of I can't think of what it was, but it, it was in that kind of family and she was training them. And the little boy was like, I didn't know people trained animals. <laughs> it was just cute. It was really cute. And um, exposure. Exposure is just really everything. And if you're never exposed to these career fields, these opportunities, uh, you will you just won't even know that that is something you could pursue. You're throwing out like with, um, you know, that being your favorite part on being able to kind of doing the field trip and take them to the Baltimore Aquarium. Uh, for anyone like maybe new to DFW area, are there any like go-to spots that you like when it comes to, I guess, science or just kind of the interest in science? Yeah, um, I definitely would say the Perot Museum is amazing, super amazing. And they have a lot of partnerships that uh partnerships and sponsorships so just basically any other science organizations universities that partner with that museum to help them spread if you will spread the science word um and there's like a wall of pamphlets and information that is in there uh, and that's where i usually can find and stay updated on their website because they're kind of a hub that connects you to other avenues and after that kind of mentorship in the Baltimore area and you're kind of leaving that, so was it like immediately after that on, you know, wanting to make this into an official organization of mentoring, um, you know, younger individuals or did that come like later than the line? No, it actually it started a little before that. So like while I was at Howard, I thought about starting the organization and then I was like, girl, you're crazy. You are like a 21 credit student. <laughs> like I just didn't have the time for it. Um, but when I did the mentoring at Baltimore in Baltimore, I was like, yeah, this is just confirmation that I'm supposed to be doing this, that this is like a part of my purpose. Uh, and so literally after I graduated and I relocated back to Texas, it was just like hit the ground running. It was like, you know, what paperwork do I need to do? Who do I need to call? The IRS, Texas, the Secretary of State um, to really get it going. Because in that short time that I had stopped doing the mentoring because of COVID, it was something I really missed because I really enjoyed it. Um, and so even though now I'm focused on minority college students, um, just that student aspect in general is something that I love to connect with. Mm -hmm. And when you're kind of like put together everything with the nonprofit paperwork, paperwork and able to make this into official organization. So, um, you know, if, if you can kind of give like a breakdown on like some of the programs you offer, um, I, I guess like starting with, so like the scholarships that this organization offers. So, you know, who's eligible for the scholarships? Um, how many scholarships are you guys giving out? Um, you know, and how can they like apply? Yes, of course. So um, scholarship wise, we have three scholarships. 
We have the Book Scholarship, Elevation Scholarship, and the Discovery Scholarship. Your book scholarship is your regular $500 scholarship. Um, we call it a book scholarship, but we know a lot of books are PDFs nowadays. <laughs> um, but it's really just to kind of fill that small financial void, whether it's like you've paid all your classes, you've paid for um, your dorm rooming and board. Maybe now you need like grocery money or a backpack or some new shoes. You know, it fills that small void of whatever financial gap you have. So then we have the Discovery Scholarship and the Discovery and Elevation Scholarship are both $1,000, but um, they target a different kind of student. So we try to put the, the meaning in the name. So Discovery is that student who is coming to college because maybe somebody told them to or is trying to just figure out what they want to do with their life, what career to choose. So they don't know much about what their strengths and weaknesses are and where they want to go. Um, and in partnership with that $1,000, they get a mentor. Then we have the Elevation Scholarship. Uh, they get a mentor and the $1,000 as well, but this is more so for that student who is super confident and that, that kid who's like four years old and they're like, I'm gonna be a lawyer or I'm gonna be a doctor. And they're already doing that in college as well. Um, and that's more so to target that level or that, that kind of student. Uh, and so we give out a minimum of three of those a year, depending on fundraising, depends on if we give out more of those. And then for our mentorship program, this is like, I like to call it our bread and butter, <laughs> you know, is what keeps the engine going. And we have a year long mentorship program. Every, every mentee, every college student gets a mentor. We connect them based off personality, um, location, career path, um, strengths and weaknesses, hobbies. Cause we want for, for mentorship to really work, you have to be comfortable. You have to be willing to share and not like your life story, but share as much as possible so that the mentor can actually help guide you and take the right steps in the right direction. Um, but besides being partnered with a mentor, uh, we also have sessions. Um, we call it our boot camp where for six weeks, every week there's a session focusing on something. So resume building, interview prep, um, networking, knowing what your brand is, knowing who you are and your strengths and weaknesses, your personality type, because then you, knowing who you are, um, it helps connect. It helps you connect with people. People can tell if you don't know who you are. People can tell if you're not confident or comfortable. Um, and the best way to connect with somebody is just going into a room and being yourself. And so we really teach that, especially in that minority sense, because there's like code switching. There's a lot of different things that people do. Uh, being a minority, going into like less, it's not a predominantly minority space. So just kind of teaching them like you don't have to switch who you are, what you look like when you go in these spaces. People will respect you as long as you're professional and you state your truth and you are who you are. And so, um yeah, that's, that's the mentorship portion and the scholarship portion. And the last piece is our leadership sessions. And so that's more of a masterclass. And that's more so for students who, that's more so for students who are already like super high performing. And they're usually juniors or seniors in college. And what they're looking for is how do I be a leader in my respective career field? and not be 75, <laughs> you know, showing them like you can be a leader in your career, in your 20s, in your 30s. You don't have to wait until you're a little more seasoned just to be a leader or an executive member or an administrator in your career. And I was kind of curious with, um, you know, some of those offerings, uh, 
kind of specifically with like the the mentorship program when you mentioned it being kind of the bread and butter of this organization is there any type of mentors that you guys would um like more of uh, I, I guess from like a specific industry or any types of professionals that you would love to see um into the mentor program we really like mandatory requirement we have only really one mandatory requirement and that's really that you're passionate to see change in the community and your minority community. Um, but a couple things that we look for, we prefer to have younger mentors just because you're not so far gone from college. Like that's not something that happened 40 years ago where the system might have changed or culture might have changed. So we like to have young, ambitious professionals. Um, and we're not industry specific because our students aren't industry specific. You know, we have art majors, we have um, engineers, um, we have individuals in finance. So uh, we are not career specific at all. And on the other side with the scholarships, um, you kind of mentioned like the three different types of scholarships and kind of the, um, you know, the hopes to give three of them out um, each year. So I guess which one is like the most competitive when it comes to overall applications and um, is like the funding for those scholarships? Does it primarily come from uh, like the the events um, or kind of attendance? Yeah, so the Elevation Scholarship is our most competitive scholarship um, because we get a lot of students with the 4.0 GPAs, with the multiple internships, but we're looking at can you... Can you be amazing on paper, but also show us that you have those skills to be a leader as well? Because not everybody who's high performing is necessarily a leader. Um, so we're looking for those two things in, in, excuse me, in compilation with each other. So that was definitely the the hardest scholarship to give. I mean, to to get. Um, we're also just looking to raise that scholarship up on how much it is, how much we're giving so that it intensifies like how 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 competitive it is to get that scholarship. Um, and then. Uh, yeah, so that's just that's the most competitive scholarship. Sorry, I was trying to decide what else I was going to say. <laughs> and kind of on like that final um, the final arc of the organization and you're kind of mentioning with like the elevation scholarship of becoming a leader and when you're saying like that leaders don't have to wait until that they're more seniored and kind of do everything in their 20s and 30s uh, I was curious on like your jump into that McDonald's program we are golden Um you know, where when you kind of went into that, was there ever, I guess, any like doubt as far as, um, you know, as far as like not being able to jump in such a high role um, into like that? Oh, for sure. I I don't have imposter syndrome, but that well, that was definitely a moment of it. <laughs> you know, not knowing. I definitely belonged, but not knowing if I had the tenure for it. And I was having that experience made me feel like, OK, I feel like I'm doing the right thing with the foundation, with the leadership sessions, because, you know, here I am in my mid 20s and I'm experiencing these things as well. So I was like, this is something that maybe if I had a, a mentor who helped me in that area, I wouldn't felt like that. I wouldn't have, have, have had those thoughts. But once I was in there, it was like, okay, I'm supposed to be here. It was an amazing experience, and I wouldn't take it back for anything. Um, 
excuse me, it connected me with so many amazing people just like me, young, ambitious, and relatively successful. I know success is different for everybody, um, but some people who had been doing it for a while and, you know, hey, I started my business at 22. Now I'm 30 and it's it's profitable. It's making the impact I'm looking for it to make. You know, I'm connecting with the audience I want to connect with. Um, so it was definitely encouraging too, just to see young, ambitious black people driving and feeding and fueling their community in everybody's different ways. Cause there was like health, there was like a swim, a swim teacher. He like taught um, lower income students. Well, he would take them from their lower income neighborhoods and take them to a swimming pool and teach them how to swim to kind of fight the, the stereotype that black people can't swim. So it's just so many like amazing things like that. So when I first got in there, Definitely was kind of like, uh oh, but the process definitely um, the, the process was definitely beautiful. And with that group. So um, I guess what was the process? Right. Um, did you have to apply uh, or were you invited? And uh, what, what's kind of uh, been involved with um, that type of project so far? Yeah. So I. Uh, the next because the next cycle is starting up for a new class and now it's an application process but for us since we were the inaugural class um it was invitation only and so that just makes you feel even more special to for someone to see the work that you're doing and say wow you're making the impact and we want to highlight you and partner with you and your organization. Um, so initially that's what that looked like. And then there was a series of events that they invited us to throughout the year, which was amazing. Um, one being Essence Festival, which is a huge cultural event for black people. Um, any famous black person that you can possibly think of was there. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, doing press and, and speaking engagements and, um, and have publicity uh, releases, things of that nature is what we were doing there. So we were trying to not only promote us as an organization, promote me as an individual, but also show how McDonald's reaches back into its community to continue to uplift people who are reaching out to their community. Um, so there are so many events throughout the year. Uh, we end up recording like an interview and a, and a commercial. It was amazing. You know, a McDonald's are, they're really intentional about their making sure their mouth meets their money, right? And so they really do walk the walk um, in the sense of like uplifting that minority community. For sure. Well, honestly, just wanted to kind of wrap, wrap everything up. Yeah. I was kind of curious on, um, you know, if there's any other kind of projects or goals that you had in mind for kind of the rest of the year, um, you know, for 2023, was there any uh, major things that you're kind of proud of with the organization or just kind of with your personal projects? Yes, specifically with the organization. Um, we haven't announced it on social media, but it's coming within the next couple of weeks that um, we just continued a or renewed, however you would like to put it, a partnership with PwC. And so PwC is a consulting firm or consulting company, and they provide a lot of 
they provide a lot of opportunities for um, nonprofit organizations. And so there's so much that's going into that. There's mentorship, there's scholarship, there's job opportunities for the mentors. I mean, excuse me, for the mentees, the college students. Um, I can't even go down the list. It's a long rap sheet, <laughs> but super excited for that and to see what that looks like for the year of 2023. No, that's awesome to hear, Dara. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, kind of with those projects that you mentioned and uh, honestly just wanted to really be able to thank you again, Um, not just be able to kind of uh, talk everything that goes into the foundation, but really just kind of your own personal journeys, Um, really just everywhere from Howard University to kind of uh, going into Baltimore uh, City School Districts and yeah, everything like there that's been able to kind of create a mentorship program and scholarship program like this. Um, no, I think it's, you know, very great information for, uh, you know, anyone possibly willing to kind of and wanting to follow in your footsteps. So really just wanted to thank you again. No, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been great being here. The conversation was wonderful. Um, and I do, I hope this can connect some other people, getting them to know who we are uh, and know that we support them as minority college students. For sure. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Platinum Mask Podcast. Stay connected with us directly through theplatinummask.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at graymask12. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through maskgrayson at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, raise a glass to success, no matter how you define it.